Some of you only need to look across the dinner table to find your closest connection to agriculture. Others of us need to look a little further back to find our farming family. My name is Portia Stewart. All four of my great-grandparents were farmers. But by my grandfather's generation, only my grandfather was still in agriculture. Now, like many Americans, I have no more farmers in my family. This made me wonder, have consumers lost their connection to the land? And have farmers lost their connections with consumers? Let's see if we can make some new connections. Welcome to Overheard, the Farm Journal Livestock podcast that connects the hearts and minds of producers and consumers to preserve our sustainable resources and provide high-quality food. it's time for Have You Heard, the latest in livestock news. What can a screen do for agriculture? A lot more than you think, based on research by Dr. Kun Wei Wang, Associate Professor and Chair of the Department of Plant and Environmental Protection Sciences with the University of Hawaii. Insecticide-resistant pests are an increasing bane for farmers. This issue started with farmers dealing with fruit flies, also called melon flies which are very problematic to cucurbit crop production, Dr. Wang says. Cucurbits are a family of plants that include cucumbers, melons, and other gourds. At night, the fruit flies crawl inside the fruit and lay eggs. Then the eggs hatch and the maggots grow inside the cucumber. Over the years, fruit flies have developed resistance to the bait. One Hawaiian farmer went overseas to visit some producers outside of the U.S., Dr. Wang says, and he saw that farmers were solving this fruit fly problem with 17 mesh screen. This farmer began working with an extension agent to import the screen and build a screen house. They sewed the screens together to create panels big enough to cover the structure. In 2014, the College of Tropical Agriculture and Human Resources, CTAHR, Cooperative Extension Service, began testing screen house prototypes from commercial systems to do-it-yourself models. Our main purpose is to try to get it at a cheaper cost so that farmer can afford it. Majority of the farmer in Hawaii, about 80% of them are smaller than 50 acres and they are vegetable grower. So we want to find materials that are cheaper and affordable for them. Farmer response has been overwhelmingly positive. Dr. Wang says many farmers were close to giving up on cucumber and zucchini production, but the greenhouses have given them the ability to grow these crops again. They've also found it helpful to protect tomatoes from fruit flies and prevent the diamondback moth on kale and cabbage. In the feedback the CES received, one farmer wrote, I loved the greenhouse. The zucchini and tomato fruit were pest-free and aphid pressure was manageable. Another noted, the pepper in the greenhouse has no fruit fly or, or pepper weevil, both of which cause nearly 100% devastation in the field. These are cryptic insects that can't be managed by contact-type insecticides. Growers reported a 50% reduction in insecticide use to manage fruit flies, caterpillar aphids, white flies, and thrips. To learn more about this story and others, visit agweb.com ACAM. For today's main dish, guest host Jennifer Scheich, editor of Farm Journal's Pork, will be examining state fair closures. No one can say the state fairs were blindsided, like the Houston Stock Show and Rodeo or the Oklahoma Youth Expo back in March. Fair organizers have had a chance to see COVID-19 coming, but piecing the puzzle together to find a solution has looked different for every state fair and event that has had to make the hard decision to cancel or move forward. 
Today, I'm joined by Spencer Morris, Livestock Director at the Indiana State Fairgrounds and Event Center, and Brian Bolin, Agriculture Director at the Wisconsin State Fair, to discuss what they've been through in the past few months. I don't think these two could be bigger ambassadors for youth livestock shows and the value of the animal agriculture experience in a young person's life. Brian, start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do. I'm the uh, Senior Agriculture Director at Wisconsin State Fair. Uh, my duties there entail everything from promoting agriculture and education to the, to the fairgoers and to the public, uh, as well as the livestock show programs for kids with animals and also um, the non-livestock programs. So basically anything that a kid participates in at the fair uh, comes through our agriculture department and the programs there range from fair camp to band and, you know, FFA band and chorus to music groups uh, to the rabbit hopping competition to the champion challenge horse competitions uh, on into our traditional livestock shows for uh, beef, sheep, swine, dairy, goats, uh, you know, those, those traditional animals. So always something to do. That's great. Now, Spencer, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Indiana. Uh, sure. Uh, so uh, like you said, I'm the livestock director for the Indiana State Fairgrounds and Events Center. And um, I'm, I'm primarily focused on the animal side. So that's, that's both uh, uh, for the fair, but also year-round events, um, trying to, you know, add to, to our summer events, like um, the, uh, the, the, the exposition that wasn't this summer, um, Cattle Junior Nationals, uh, horse shows, um, our winter Hoosier Beef Congress, which is our winter beef expo. So, so mostly animal focused from absolutely everything from, um, uh, helping, you know, set the property up and pens and stalls to hiring staff and organizing volunteers and uh, updating our, our rule books and entry books every year. So, so all things animals. Well, I know hosting the state fair is a highlight of your jobs each year. So what ran through your mind when you heard about shows shutting down and started to realize the long reaching effects that the COVID-19 pandemic could have on your state fair? Brian, do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, I, I tip my hats to uh, to those involved with the management of those livestock shows. I know we're all prepared and we all have emergency plans in place, but uh, when something like that pops up, it sure takes a, a lot of leadership to pull through that. And I really uh, tip my hats to the job that, that those folks were able to do at those shows. And about that time, uh, mid-March mid was when our stay-at-home order came into place for the state of Wisconsin. It was put in place by our governor. And at that time, we were like everybody else, still trying to learn what COVID-19 was and how it affected us and uh, ultimately what it might look like uh, 60, 90, 120 days down the road. And I think at that point in time, we started kind of erasing the chalkboard and, and looking at all opportunities. And certainly a fair like ours, which is averages about 100,000 people a day, in the initial reports we had on, on how, the, how the virus transferred and everything, we knew that a fair of our size was probably gonna have to look different. And so, um, you know, that's when we really started thinking, okay, well, if we can't have the big fair in Milwaukee, which at that point in time happened to be kind of a hot spot uh, for the virus, we knew that uh, there was a potential we could still do some livestock shows. So we immediately really in, in April or late March, early April started uh, taking a look at different models and timelines and, you know, what what can be offered, what couldn't be offered, what type of deadlines would we have to have in place for drop dead dates, financially, how is this going to look different, and we just started those wheels turning right away in March, and, uh, you know, they continued to turn for quite a, for quite a while, and uh, I always tell folks that it, it was really great the first month and a half because you could be creative and you could kind of reimagine and you could redesign and and then the last three weeks or a month got to be very challenging because everything that you had thought of and, you know, you came up with plan A through Z, all of a sudden plan Z didn't look good anymore. So you were trying to, to keep moving on. And unfortunately, a lot of it was out of our control by that point in time. We were, we were following CDC recommendations, state agency recommendations, governor recommendations, health department recommendations. So really, we were, uh, we were just trying to stay, stay afloat. So Spencer, how did you feel when you started hearing um, the announcements of other fairs starting to shut down? Um, I'll be totally transparent. I was I was at my desk when the Houston news broke, 
and I actually ran down to my boss's office and like had my phone in my hand. I'm like, oh my gosh, did you see this? And, and I'll be honest, uh, for the first few minutes until I, I, I kind of just um, chilled out, I, I was scared. It, it's the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. It's one of the biggest names in, in, in the fair and events industry, and, and they just evacuated. Um, so so that'll, make, that'll make a person in this industry nervous for sure. Um, and then the, the management staffs at Houston and OYE and Rodeo Austin, and at every event, this is, these are not fair weather jobs, and these are not fair weather volunteer roles. Everyone puts their heart and soul into it. Um, so I have nothing but respect for them and I know they did the very best job they could and, and they did as much as was possible. Um, and then, um, like Brian said, you know, in March as a Midwestern state, we began to shut down and, um, then immediately got to work on the plan A through Z what's possible, what's not possible. You know, plan A is a full blown fair and it's going to be great and grand and plan Z is nothing. And then there's everything in between. Um, as the months passed, as COVID numbers kind of informed the direction, as, as our governor and, and the CDC um, released information and phased in plans, we, we began to take options off the table um, and, and, and put financial numbers to, to the plans to, to inform what could be and what could not be possible and how it would be different. I think uh, we were uniquely positioned um, to, to offer what we're offering due to our very unique um, relationship with Indiana 4-H and Purdue Cooperative Extension. Our state fair is 4-H exclusive. There's no FFA, no junior show, which, I'm, which, is, which is, is, is just different. Um, I'm very envious of, of state fairs that have uh, a more complex uh, formula, exhibitor formula. Um, but, but we're 4-H exclusive. So that was a little simpler and cleaner for us. And, um, we're so thankful for, for our partnership and, and everything that is possible, uh, at our state fair through, uh, Indiana 4-H Purdue Cooperative Extension. Um, and, and Jennifer, like you mentioned, we were a little bit later on the state fair announces and, and we were because, um, we were digesting all of that information coming out of the CDC and, and of our governor and our state health department's office and trying to make it make sense for us and right size our plans to it. And, um, as it came out, we began to notice a relaxing trend to the Indiana phase in plan and, and were able to find the thing that worked for us, knowing that every state's different, every state fair is different, um, every, every governor's office, every state health department is different, and every population center and, and, and economy base is different. So um, as a result, we, we uh, did finally come to, to put our section of the puzzle together to offer a modified uh, livestock show. So Brian, May 28th was a pretty tough day for your state. <laughs> And I remember when, when I saw that announcement come out and all of my Wisconsin friends started chattering on social media, um, a sad day for you guys. So walk me through that decision that led up to you guys having to cancel your state fair. Yeah, certainly uh, May 28th was a, was a challenging day for us. Um, probably the day that the reality of everything we had thought about over the past 60 days had, uh, had come true. Um, our board, our our decision was made completely by our State Fair Park Board uh, with some advice from the governor's office, um, but basically it was the board trying to do what they felt was the responsible thing. And they talked with community leaders, had watched what other events in the areas were doing. Uh, they had also been in communication with other state fairs to talk about some of these same issues Spencer and I talk about every day of, you know, how do we how do we operate in this modified environment? How do we social distance? How do we uh, financially hold it all together? And, and uh, you know, I, I think probably the six weeks leading up to May 28th were probably even more difficult in some cases than the May 28th because we had those hard conversations of, you know what, this is what we can offer. This is what we can't. This is what this financially would do. And this is what this offer does not allow us to do. And we had a lot of tough conversations and we interacted with our board. Uh, management uh, played a role in the decision because we had to talk to the board and they had to explain to them, you know, what we needed in order to pull off a safe and, and a successful event. And so it was really just a, a sharing of a lot of information back and forth. And then at the end of the day, as we got towards that May 28th date, we spent a lot of time reviewing uh, 
CDC guidelines and health requirements. And we are in a little unique situation in, in Milwaukee, West Dallas. Our fairground sits in two municipalities. We sit in the city of West Dallas and, and part of it's in the city of Milwaukee. So we had two sets of health, uh, health requirements to take a look at. And then a, a, another twist to it is that we're state owned property. So technically we have to follow state guidelines. So we had with three different things going on there. And then plus, then you can throw in the fact that we were in Milwaukee County, uh, had another set of guidelines. So it, it became, we wanted to be a good partner and we need, and we're part of a community there in West Dallas. So uh, we ended up having to uh, work through some of those health requirements. And, and at the end of the day, I think the, the responsible choice was made by our board of directors and uh, supported by fair management because we want, uh, we want a great fair. There isn't one person on our staff and not one person on our board that didn't want to hold the fair. We, this is what we do. This is what our passion is. And, uh, you know, we tried to find every way possible to do it. And I think May 28th was kind of the reality, not necessarily of defeat, but the reality that uh, we're going to be bigger and better in 21. And instead of trying to do an event that we wouldn't be proud of, that uh, people uh, would, would have negativity towards, um, we wanted to come back stronger and stronger for 2021. So I think that's what we have a chance now to do is uh, take a look at our operations. And, you know, we're trying to still think, even though, even though that decision was made, we know that there's going to be some long-lasting implications from COVID-19. And we know that uh, when it's not COVID-19, there's a possibility it'll be something else. So uh, we will be taking this extra time to try to develop plans um, on how this fair industry and livestock shows might look in the future. You know, as you said, Spencer, Indiana State Fair took a little bit longer to, to make their announcement. So tell us about your modified event and what your state fair is going to do. Uh, yeah, um, you know, it what Brian said is, you know, those cancellation days, um, you know, for, for all of our guests and our exhibitor families, um, who, who are our fair family every summer and our volunteers, um, that day was hard for everyone. Um, so, so the Indiana state fair, uh, to answer your question is canceled and was canceled. Um, however, uh, we were able to, um, and, and, uh, I'll be I'll be transparent in in the kind of um, in in the last few hours uh, leading up to to that day we're able to begin to um, put the final pieces together on on what a modified 4-H livestock show could look like um, because uh, I'll be honest they, we were we were questioning. Um, you know, what could work and, and what couldn't work and getting final numbers, final budget numbers, final CDC guidance, final, you know, guidance from the state health department um, to, to a place that, that everyone was comfortable with. We had to be comfortable with it. The state health department, um, all, all of our, our state partners um, um, and uh, that, that was able to come together. Um, and, um, you know, we, we were on the later end, again, still digesting all of the information um, that was was coming out from all of our state partners and, and in trying to, to see how that made the puzzle of, you know, fair or, you know, livestock event. So, Brian, you mentioned that a lot of little things added up to your decision to completely cancel the livestock show, too. And what were some of those factors that you guys had to consider that, that maybe the rest of us don't always think about from a show family perspective that we don't see behind the scenes? Well, on May 28th, when the fair was canceled, um, we still had uh, left the door open that we would still try to be able to have some livestock shows. And as I had mentioned, uh, we had spent a period of time you know, developing different models of what could work. And, and uh, once we made that decision uh, to cancel the fair, uh, we kind of knew what, our, what some of our, our basic assumptions were because we had just canceled the fair. So we knew that we couldn't do anything drastically different because, uh, you know, the safety of, of all involved was certainly first still the priority. Um, so as much as we wanted to have an individual show and we, we uh, have such a varied opinion in, across the countryside of, of what this virus is and how it transmits and, and how serious we need to take it, 
um, we have to kind of throw that away and we have to, we have to still think about what's the, what's the best and the safest guidelines and the responsible thing to do. And as we did that, we, we came up with a model that, that certainly logistically would have been very challenging, but it could have worked. It was, it was a model that instead of being an 11 day fair with open shows and junior shows focused primarily on just the junior portion and it would have taken 21 days. And that's a result of uh, social distancing guidelines, uh, buildings that could be used, buildings that couldn't. We're very fortunate here in Wisconsin that we have a youth center that is a dormitory during the fair. And it handles about 1,100 kids, and we, we rotate it basically three times throughout the fair. So uh, we, in talking with uh, health officials there, realized that that building probably shouldn't be used uh, in this year's situation. So, you know, that was a big component of having a, a place where 3,300 kids had a chance to lay their head and participate in the fair. And then we started looking at other buildings that uh, they said that if, if they were to be used because of their air handling systems, they would have to have some modified behaviors, like we would possibly have to wear masks. And in some cases, um, they didn't want you in the building for a, a certain period of time, you know, only so many hours in the building because it was more of a risk of, of picking up a virus. So, you know, we, we really started to, to find out what our nuts and bolts were and what we could work with. And that's kind of how our, our schedules had to change. And at the end of the day, we had like for our junior dairy show, we would have had five rotations of junior dairy. And in order to do that, there would have been kids that had multiple animals that um, wouldn't have been able to have them all at the fair at the same time. And they would have had to make multiple trips to Milwaukee. In some cases in our dairy show where we have large classes, um, there wouldn't have even been able to be a calf champion of a division because we couldn't have got all the calves at the, at the fair at the same time. So you started looking at those logistics of, of people coming in and out. And then, then you start throwing the fact, well, how do you judge them? Can you keep a judge there for 16 days? You know, and that, that doesn't work. And then you, you start talking about the going back and forth. And, and uh, we had it set up so that we had basically one species on the fairgrounds at a time. You had some time to clean in between. And then you reloaded the barns uh, for the next species. And, you know, when you spread that over 21 days and you just start looking at all the logistics of it, they still, it became very challenging. And at the end of the day, the health and the safety of, of the community was, was um, something we just couldn't over, overlook. And for that reason, and also I will say that we also didn't really want to water it down. We did not want to have an event just to have an event. We believe that the Wisconsin State Fair experience is a great experience for kids. And we know that even though it was a year of uncertainty and people understood that there would be changes, we knew that there would still be some expectations of having a good quality show. And, and one of the things our board had decided in our ag agricultural committee was they did not wanna raise premiums, or excuse me, they did not wanna raise entry fees, and they did not wanna cut premiums. And they, and they wanted to provide as the best experience they could, even if it was modified, and, and even if it was a shorter experience, they wanted to have it be a positive. And at the end of the day, if you were able to just come and unload your animal, and, and you weren't supposed to talk to anybody and you weren't supposed to do anything but show your animal and jump on the trailer and go home. We just felt that that wasn't the type of a Wisconsin State Fair experience that we wanted for people to have. And we knew that, that there would be possibly some other opportunities for youth throughout the state to be able to do those. So um, at that point is when we decided that, you know what, as much as we want to have a, a great Wisconsin State Fair, we're just unable to do that this year and we'll be back next year. I think that's a great point. You know, as a, as a parent of three kids who are showing livestock, that's what's fun about the shows. I mean, they love getting in the ring, but, but being able to hang out with their friends and talk to them, that was one of the things that we've grappled with too. Um, you know, if we're going to go somewhere and they have to stay far away from everybody and they can't hang out with their friends, is that really possible? Are you really able to keep little kids split up like that? So those are some tough tough calls. So Spencer, you know, thinking about your state fair, you know, you've made some changes, you've got an idea in place. How are the families responding to it? What kind of feedback are you receiving on the modifications that you've made to your show? Sure. Um, so um, our, our modified um, Indiana State 4-H Livestock and Project Showcase which is, which is the name of the event. Cause um, you know, like Brian said, you know, this is not the traditional Indiana state fair and, and it's not the same product. Um, so, so this is a different event. Um, the, the, the feedback has been, I would say mixed positive. The majority is very positive. There is a lot of gratitude out there um, for, for 
what we were able to put together. And, and by the same token, there are um, mixed positions out there ab about the plan that we've put together um, in, in that, you know, it's not the same as the state fair. Um, and in, on the other end of that spectrum that, you know, it's not enough. Um, and, and, and it's not big enough and it's not open enough. Um, so, so it's mixed positive. There's an awful lot of gratitude walking around, walking around out there. Um, and, and, and honestly, the, some of the, uh, uh, well, some, a lot of the modifications, um, that, that we have implemented, um, have come from our exhibitor and, and our show parent community. Um, we put together, um, some show parent focus groups, um, gosh, in, uh, I want to say in, in, in April, uh, there were, there were multiple, um, set, um, um, groups, but we put up some, we put together some focus groups of show parents and, and, and went through the list of scenarios with them. So, you know, if we have an Indiana state fair, but we have to limit, you know, how should we limit? And, and we shared with them, you know, all of the options. So an example is, you know, we could say that, you know, every kid can bring one animal so that every kid gets the, the chance to show. We could say that, you know, it's a lottery now, um, a la National Western style. We could say that, you know, there's going to be um, a virtual sift so to get us down to a more manageable number of animals and exhibitors. We could say that it's, um, you know, Texas major style and there'll be a parking lot or, you know, the barn before the barn sift to get us down to a more manageable number of, of exhibitors. And honestly, an option that, that, that wasn't that, that first option that I mentioned, you know, limiting the number of animals to ensure that every Indiana 4-H'er that got to participate um, could have that choice and that option wasn't even an option that, that we presented to those focus groups. That came from the show parent community. Um, you know, their desire that they expressed um, unanimous, like it was, it was crazy how uh, just in line all of these show parents were that every 4-H livestock and animal exhibitor needs to have the opportunity and the option to exhibit. Um, so, so lotteries and SIFs and all of that in, 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 in their eyes did not make sense for us. And we recognized that. And that was, that was the feedback that inspired, um, um, I think maybe plan G or F or H that, 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 that wound up finally getting through. Um, and, and then, you know, by the same token, you know, in that focus group, we asked, you know, the show parents, so, okay, so, so if every kid, um, 4-H'er, um, gets to bring one animal, you know, what if we can't have every species show? How do we, how do we decide, you know, what shows get to happen and how do we decide what shows don't get to happen? And, and you know, not saying that that's going to happen in these focus groups, but, you know, we need, we wanted to run through every set of scenarios that could be possible. And, and that set of uh, show parents in our, in our focus group told us, and, and again, it was just crazy how unanimous and in line this group of parents from, from many different species and, and different levels of the competitive spectrum were, um, you know, they told us point blank that if every um, livestock and animal competition for, for 4-H kids, because we're a 4-H exclusive fair, can't take place, then none of them should because it's it would not be fair to allow the hog show but not to allow the dog show to allow the steer show but not to allow the llama show because no matter what you show um, the human animal connection is just as powerful regardless of the animal and the value in the education of using livestock and animals as a teaching mechanism to build better and, and stronger young people um, regardless of the species, the value is the same across the project spectrum. And, and I was, I was shocked that this group of parents, you know, in, inspired that, but also how in line and, and unanimous they were in, in, in delivering those messages to us. So from there, um, those focus groups, we took um, those ideas and began to develop them into our plans. And so, you know, our plans, which we've announced on IndianaStateFair.com, are a modified 4-H livestock and animal show. No livestock or animal project was excluded, in addition to the project showcase, which is the, the indoor and static projects. Um, 
and and what we've had to do to right size it for the year of 2020 with 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 all of the guidance that we have and to do it safely is we've had to put a, a maximum number on the number of animals an exhibitor can bring um, like Brian said, we're working through the the real challenges of logistically moving all of these animals and exhibitors and show families on and off the fairgrounds at different times so that we can space them out in buildings. Um, a, a good example is, you know, that's that's not, um, you know, perfect for everyone. Uh, I got I got blistered real good this morning on a customer service call with a show parent. Um, that, um, you know, logistically uh, that, that we should be doing uh, more. And uh, my message is, you know, we're doing as much as we have confidence in and we're doing as much a as we feel like we can safely um, by spreading shows out throughout the entire month of August, making sure that every species has an own dedicated space. Nobody's sharing a barn or sharing arenas at the same time. So, so that, again, any 4 h that wants to come can and we have the additional space for you know increases in exhibitor numbers and we have uh, the recommended well not even recommended required amount of floor space for humans to be able to socially distance so so it's been uh, mixed positive and 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 there's a spectrum and um, we're putting it together and we have confidence that we'll be able to have a good and safe show this August well, that's certainly a lot of logistics when you start talking about the amount of floor space for each person. You know, that's that's daunting to figure out. It's hard enough to, to run a livestock show um, and then you add that element. So um, my hat's off to you guys. You know, one of the things that I wanted to make sure we talked about today was finances. Um, obviously, you know, Brian, you mentioned it just a little bit, but what were some of the financial implications that you guys had to grapple with or that you thought about when you made your decision? Well, I think certainly uh, the, the fair itself is a different uh, economic model than what maybe just a junior livestock show might be. Um, our fair budgets, you know, for the agriculture programs that I administer is around one and a half million dollars. And that's the investment basically that the fair puts into the agriculture shows and the competition. So, you know, obviously without that, without the revenue for, generated from that 1.1 million people that come in the fair park, um, obviously my budget at one point five needs to look much different and and so I I think financially from a fair perspective uh, you know there was a lot of implications in place I mean how much do we, if we only have we did uh, back up we did one survey that showed that only 30% of our general population that would come was confident they were going to come to this year's state fair and then we did some economic reports to say that well in order to for us to feasibly make some money and, and run a reasonable show we had to have uh, you know close to 45% attendance well, that's that's really small. Forty-five percent out of hundred, you think, wow, that's not that's not very many people. But then you do a survey and you only find out that thirty percent plan on coming. And then you know you you start to do all the math of what would have to change, and and uh, certainly financially, it it became very 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 challenging for us. So. Um, on the livestock side of things of putting on a show, I mean, there was a bunch of, a bunch of costs that came up and, you know, certainly cleaning, um, going from 21 days to, to 11 days. Um, the, num the amount of staff required to do that. Uh, where does everybody stay? And at the end of the day, it, it was going to be a significant investment. And we did have some supporters from the state that came through and said, you know, if it's all about money, we'll be there to help you, you know. And 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 as I mentioned a minute ago, we decided that we did not want to raise entry fees and, and make the kids come up with all those extra costs and stuff. So so financially, it got to be, you know, it was, it was a factor in the decision. I don't think it was the number one factor because we felt comfortable uh, that we could raise some funds and that we'd be able to do it. We just wanted to make sure we protected the Wisconsin State Fair and the integrity of our shows. And we wanted to offer a product uh, to the kids that that is going to mean something. And and wasn't just watered down just to be able to unload an animal and load it back up in two hours later. So um, financing financials were very important, but um, they weren't the number one thing. It was the safety of, of the people and the, and the experience. We wanted to have a great experience. So how about Indiana Spencer? How have you guys had to change your fees to cover some of the additional costs that you're going to incur? Yeah. Uh, like Brian said, the, the junior uh, 4-H livestock show 
it is not the same model as a fair model. It, it just simply is not. It, it, it is a different thing. Um, as a result, our entry fees are going to be different. Our premiums are going to be different. Um, we'll release all of that on June 26 when we open up our entries for the Indiana State 4-H Livestock and Project Showcase. And um, we understand that things being different, you know, this event um, may not, you know, add up to um, being uh, the event that someone expects when they go to the Indiana State Fair. It is a different event. It's going to feel different. It's going to look different. Um, as a result, you know, whatever the reason is for someone to, to, to attend or to not to end, we understand in the year of 2020, the, the degree of flexibility and understanding that I, I think we all need to possess and, and, and that I've just developed a new dim dimension on in my end is that um, uh, for, for the time being, things are going to look different, they're going to feel different, and they're just going to be different. Um, so, so yeah, um, it's a different model. So we've had to adjust in order to make this event possible. Um, you know, doing things the same as we would for the fair uh, just wasn't possible because it, it's a different event. It's a different model. Um, and so we've had to adjust to that. And um, hopefully um, that will produce both a fun and safe event this August for us. So what is one thing that you guys wish that people would have known um, about the decision process that, that you've had to go through? We've, we've talked about a lot of things today, but what's the one thing that you wish everybody knew when it came to, to what you guys have been thinking about and weighing out through this decision process? Uh, Spencer, do you want to start us off? While we've all had to make hard choices in the year of 2021, um, that that just because they were hard and they were different and, and they weren't the decisions that 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 everyone wanted um they were choices that were made with love and passion and care for something um that all of us that work and serve uh for both our property and and our events um care about uh with our whole hearts yeah how about you brian Wow, that was well said, Spencer. I, I think that uh, I would echo those same thoughts in terms of the amount of thought and consideration that everybody involved with the Wisconsin State Fair put into uh, trying to trying to possibly do something uh, for the 2020 uh, Wisconsin State Fair. I, I think I would just add the fact that everybody has to realize too that uh, uh, Wisconsin State Fair is a state agency and we do have to follow a, a different set of guidelines. Um, unfortunately, probably this year, what hurt us even the most as you look at the big picture is our location. Uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin happens to be in one of those areas where uh, this particular virus has uh, been a hot spot. So I think that's important to understand that the health implications there look different than if you were in Northern Wisconsin, where this, this virus hasn't really been a, a major issue for, for some people. So I, I think you just have to keep everything in perspective and understand that, that this is a business as much as a lot of us view it as a livestock show and as a project for kids. Um, it is bigger than that. And, and, it was, and the fair is a, is a community partner. And, it would, and we needed to act responsibly to, for that community. And this community was, was suffering. Uh, the, the, there, was a, there was a lot of virus, and then now within the last couple of weeks since the decision was made, there's been some political uh, unrest in the Milwaukee area with some of the things happening across the country. And so we need to be cognizant of that and, and understanding the fact that we need to be a good community partner. And, um, and we all were trying to act as responsible as we could to that community and to the state of Wisconsin. And again, I'll go back to the fact that we really wanted to, we want our state fair to be a celebration. We just didn't want to go through the motions. Uh, we wanted it to be, we wanted, we're all proud of it. <laughs> we want it to be uh, the, the best experience that everybody has every year. It's essentially for the livestock kids in Wisconsin, it's our Super Bowl. And, and you, you don't want to play a Super Bowl and quit at halftime. So I don't want to go too far into this because I know we're almost running out of time, but I also value the perspective that you guys both have to offer on this. You know, I've seen a lot of replacement shows pop up, which is great. I mean, personally, we're, we're thrilled that there have been some shows that have been able to form and we know that it's taken a lot of work and effort to get those going. Do you guys have any advice for people, though, as they start trying to organize some of these replacement shows or additional show opportunities for youth? Um, I think there's always 
a lot at risk and a lot at stake, I guess you should say, um, when it comes to, to putting on youth livestock shows. So what do people need to remember? And if you could offer a bit of advice, what would that be? Spencer, do you want to start? Sure. Um, you know, I, I think that the um, new uh, show format that we've seen develop this year, uh, the pasture jackpot shows, um, the tent jackpot shows, um, the new youth expos, um, I have always believed, and, and, and Brian said it really well a little bit ago, but I, I'm a product, I'm a product of this project, you know, I, I know power that um, uh, lives within the animal project because um, there is a very specific moment in time when my brother and I got in an argument in a show barn and that moment changed my life and the trajectory of my life forever to the positive. Um, so I've always believed that more livestock shows are a good thing. Um, the more we can grow this community and the more we can grow the value of the, the animal project and the human and animal connection that happens in the animal project, I think is encourage anyone, you know, developing a livestock or animal show event to um, think deeply about why you're developing this new event. And I, I you know, I don't think because one show didn't happen, I, I don't think that's the reason that another show needs to happen. You know, is it a community wants it? Is it because a group of people are going to come together to put on a positive experience for a group of families and young people that, that, that desire to participate in a really constructive and, and positive event and project. So I, I would just encourage new shows as, as they develop, which I think is a good thing. I think more livestock shows is a good thing. Um, and there, there is power in the project, but I would just encourage them to, to make sure that they're, that, it's not just because one show didn't happen. That, that's not good enough. It, it has to be built upon communities coming together um, and, and building and growing communities rather than, well, you know, A didn't happen, so B must. That, that's not good enough. Brian? I think that was well said, Spencer. I don't know that I have much to add to that. I mean, Doing it for the right reason is probably the first thing that I would say, and 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 Spencer really did a great job of explaining the, the backdrop of being involved with the community and providing that experience for the kids. So I don't really have a lot to add on it. I thought he he nailed that one. Yeah, and if I can throw my two cents into you know one thing that I think is important for people to remember too is to to be following the right health rules. And I, I think people who've never run a show before sometimes don't realize all those extra steps. And so, um, you know, a, a good piece of advice might be talk to somebody who has run a show before. Um, but I, I think it, it fits in with your point, Spencer, that don't just throw one together because another one didn't happen, but you've kind of, you know, use, use the resources around you. There's a lot of people who've been involved, whether it's at the county fair level or whether it's at some of these national show levels that the people are willing to help, but we've got to do things the right way to protect the whole, the whole industry. So my yeah. last, oh, go ahead. No, absolutely, Jennifer. That's so well said. Um, people like Brian and I that, you know, this project changed our lives for the better. Um, reach out to us. We, we want to help. We, livestock shows are a good thing and we want to help and we want to see them be successful and we want to see them grow. Yeah. So, you know, as we close out, I just have one last question. Curious on what you guys think about this, but how do you think livestock shows will change in the future because of COVID-19? Brian, do you want to go first? Sure. Well, happy to. Well, first of all, I, I think that the fair industry will change. And our current model that we have uh, is based on the more people in one spot, the better. The, the larger the attendance, the more opportunities there are to spend money, the more money's made, the more successful the event would be from a financial standpoint. I think that model really will be reviewed. I, I think, um, you know, with, with where we're at today, I think personal space becomes a little bit of an issue. I think that that's going to be something that changes. I, I think that we may see more changes in the next two years than we have in the last 15 or 20 years in terms of what a livestock show looks like, especially one that's associated with a fair because financially the model is built off of the fair making the money and the livestock is the investment. 
And, and I think that model will get a little tighter and, and that will change maybe how some of these shows look because uh, we do want to include as many people as possible, but you know, maybe we don't, uh, maybe we don't have the largest junior dairy show in the country. You know, um, it, there, there's going to be some models that change. Uh, we know that there's a lot of, of procedures in place that we're looking at now that will help keep, make our environment more a more safer environment. Um, you know, just as we've seen over the years with with um, oh scanning at the gates to make sure things the people are more more comfortable. I think you're going to see more practices, and you're going to identify with more practices that are in place to keep people safe. And safety is going to continue to be important, and that's going to shape our livestock shows at fairs. And and I, I can't tell you exactly how that's going to look today. I'm still trying to figure that out myself. But I, but I do know that if we have to open our eyes wider and look at a bigger picture, and and continue to strive on how we can make a safe, fun environment that kids have, can have a great experience at, and and that encompasses a lot more things today than it did 10 years ago of, of how you accomplish that. And uh, I think in the next few years, that's going to just grow tremendously. And I wish I had that silver bullet to tell you that this is how it's going to look exactly in a few years. But I, I think you're going to see a tremendous shift in the economic model of a fair. And I think that's going to somehow trickle back down to the livestock shows that are associated with, with fairs. Now, those livestock shows that are on their own right now, they're, I call them kind of industry shows. You know, I don't think that'll have quite as much impact on, the, on them as long as uh, from a financial model, those are solid and those are strong. Um, I think that that's, that's great. I think the industry have, has done a great job over the last few years with a lot of their junior programs, the NSR programs, the junior national programs for the livestock kids. I think they've uh, done a tremendous job of creating that experience in an environment that they financially could pull, pull together. Um, you know, they don't have quite that interaction with the public that I think the fair does. And I think that is a crucial part of the fair is that that interaction of how agriculture in, interfaces into their worlds. And, and we want to make sure we maintain that. And, and I think that the livestock shows will be part of that mission, but I think it will change and, and we'll just have to kind of keep working with that model and, uh, keep developing it so that it, it doesn't get lost because without the animal side of things, without the livestock portion, without the agriculture, uh, a fair experience is nothing more than a church festival. It, it becomes a music, a music venue. It becomes a, a, a place where, you know, people come for strictly entertainment and it, it does not have that participation factor and, and that magic of what the state fair is. And so I, I think that's going to change and I, and I hope to be a part of that as we move forward and, and be able to maintain the livestock component of it. And how about you, Spencer? What are some of your thoughts about the future of livestock shows? Oh man, uh, I got to talk Brian. That's going to be hard. He said it so well um, that, uh, I think I think we're going to see a lot of change in in the fair industry here in the very near future, more so than we've seen, you know, in the last decade. Um, for a lot of reasons, you know, um, every 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 experience educates educates us, right? So so a good example is um, the '90s and, and the 2000s. You know, educated us livestock shows on how to better manage. Um, and logistically handle uh, large hog shows due to uh, different um, influenzas that are now circulating through the U.S. and international swine herds. So, so you know, we 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 make every attempt to, to commingle, you know, hogs at a livestock show for 72 hours or less than that that golden rule that um, the uh, influenza group put together by um, the American um, Swine Veterinary Association. Um, and I think NSR helped champion, champion that as well. So, so that's a new kind of standard that we, that we try to apply to hog shows whenever we get the opportunity and the, the logistics make it possible. And, and I think now we'll see like that education that we went through a focus on the human side uh, of the health perspective as well. Um, and, and I hope that, that, um, my hope is that, that we're able to, to, to do it in a way that still makes fair, the, the general idea of fair possible, like, and, and Brian has said this before, and I, I've stolen this from him because it captures it so well so that we can continue to produce the magic of, of what is a fair and what is a great state fair. 
Um, because when you put it all together, you know, unlike an independent livestock show, you know, um, it, it's a large complex equation and it takes everything. Um, the livestock shows need um, the, the rest of the fair to, to support the financial investment that's necessary to cover the livestock shows. The, the rest of the fair needs um, the spectacle of, uh, you know, large livestock shows. Otherwise, you know, it's, it's a concert venue. Um, and I'll be honest, um, you know, when it comes to going to a concert venue, there's a lot of competition in the market from um, businesses that make money every single day just having concerts. So, so we have to be different than that. We can't, we can't, we can't be just a concert venue. Um, we have to be more than that. And um, if you ever, if anyone ever gets the opportunity, uh, Jennifer, you might appreciate this. Uh, David Foster Wallace. Um, is an American author um, who authored the article in 1994 in Harper's Magazine, um, A Ticket to the Fair. Uh, he grew up in Illinois, went to the University of Illinois, got his PhD in literature, wrote the article, A Ticket to the Fair, and it's his experience as a, an East Coast uh, author going back to his roots at the Illinois State Fair as an adult and, and writing about it. And um, in it, um, he describes that, you know, what draws us to the fair as, as Midwesterners is us. It, it's us as individual people and the gathering and the magic that happens at the fair. The spectacle we go to the fair to see is us. We live in, in you know, large open spaces. And unlike those that live on the East and the West Coast, um, who go to the mountains and, and, and um, you know, the deserts and their beach houses to get away from the crowd. You know, during the summer, us Midwesterners, we get together in one place um, and we look for that gathering and, and that magic of State Fair. Um, so it's a great article and it, it describes the, the essence of State Fair so well. Um, so I hope that as we learn more and adapt our industry uh, to be able to continue to fare in, in the best and safest way, way possible. I think that's a great point. You know, as we think about, about what the state fair experience is, one of the things that comes to my mind is we have a lot of labor challenges facing agriculture. And, and quite honestly, I think that state fair experience is where a lot of young people decide that, that I love this environment. I love some of these people. I want to continue on in agriculture and um, it's also the place where we get to expose everybody else to what agriculture is all about and it, it like you said it's a showcase um, it, it can be a life-changing experience in so many ways and I feel like so many of my experiences at the State Fair were foundational to the career path that I've been on and, and I, I simply wouldn't have been able to do what I've done if it wouldn't have been for my Iowa State Fair experience. And so, you know, I just want to say thank you guys so much for taking time today. I appreciate what you guys do at your state fairs. And I wish you the best as you forge ahead with, with new ideas and new ways to do things even better down the road. So, again, thank you so much for your time and for joining us on Overheard. Thank you, Jennifer. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us today on Overheard, the Farm Journal Livestock Podcast. We encourage you to learn more about the new American Farm Show, Farm Journal Field Days, at fjfielddays.com. That's fjfielddays.com. We'll see you next time.